Well, good morning, and it's great to be with you. Thank you, Bronwyn, for leading us in worship. That fits so well with something I'm going to be saying this morning. It's a joy to be with you today, to uh, stand in the pulpit when your pastor's away. It's um, a great delight for many reasons, not uh, just because I appreciate this church as one of our partner churches at Heritage, and you're so encouraging, and we have wonderful students that have come from this church and are coming from the church, including, you heard, Jordan this morning. Um, but uh, your pastor is one of my very best friends. We've known each other for quite a few years, and uh, I'm just glad he has this time off to refresh and to focus. Thank you for giving him that gift, and uh, I hope you'll rally around the team that's here and help them to, uh, to really lead this church well during this time period when he's gone. I trust you'll pray for your pastor that he'll have a very good break, come back with really sharpened focus and really a sense of God's direction for the church. So it's a great joy to be here this morning and just to share this time together with you. I want to congratulate all of you who made a good choice not to go winter camping this weekend. And uh, uh, some of you are into that stuff, but uh, hey, it's far better to stay at home, right, and put things over all those flowers you planted already, like we did. My wife had me out last night covering up flowers and stuff. I said, I told you we shouldn't have planted this stuff already, but anyway. You're not supposed to tell your wives things like that, but anyway, it, it doesn't help the marriage at all. I guess I need to come to that I marriage course, right? <laughs> not to say those things to your wife, anyway. Well, um, I was asked to bring a display, so I have a display of the school and the foyer, and if there's something I can uh, give you to understand what heritage is all about, I'd love that. I'm not going to say a lot about it, except to say if you're interested in the college and all the programs, it's the red stuff on the right, interest in the seminary, which is for people who have an undergraduate degree, it's in the green stuff on the left, okay? So seminaries on the left, it's green, and colleges on the red, it's right. But it's not too late to sign up for school yet, and um, we have students still signing up. Uh, it's great to have them coming. I just like many of you who have young people, uh, college-age young people, to take one of these, green, these red sheets here, I'm colorblind, sorry, red cards, that talks about the Heritage Gateway programs. We have six one-year programs in things like worship leadership and sound technology and recording arts and performance and Christian studies, global adventures, academic transfer. So you want to start off and see if you really embrace what we have to offer. You can do it with one year. Great transition to go on to university. We have a two-year Associate of Arts a diploma now. It's a combination between us and Trinity Western University. That allows you to take two years on our campus and then seamlessly transfer to a whole range of 40 majors out at Trinity Western, plus some other universities are saying they'll give transfer credit. So take one of these if you're a young person, high school age, and uh, it'll help you. Um, if you're thinking of taking some stuff and you don't have to leave home to take it, i.e., you want to just upgrade your understanding of the Word of God, uh, Look at this brochure. It talks about our multimodal courses where you come on two days in a semester. The rest is all downloaded off the website and uh, email discussions. So if you've got two Friday afternoons or two Saturdays, you can get a course this way. If you'd like to take DVD courses, we got this program. Lots of things. And then I forgot to mention this this morning, so get you guys in the midst of all your busyness in June. We do have a golf tournament, so if some of you'd like to come and Golf with us. I'd love to have a team from this church come, four of you, because all the money we raise is for our international students. God is bringing us some wonderful international students, and this, uh, if they're selected by us, we give them full tuition scholarships, 
and they need some extra help. So this would help our international students. And there's some on the back you can see. We've got a young man from Namibia and Albania and Turkey and South Korea and other places. So anyway, great to be here. Are you ready to hear God's word? Hope you are. So have your Bibles, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, take that little piece of paper out of your bulletin, it'd be great to follow along. I want to talk to you this morning about staying focused, staying focused. In just a couple hours, those of you who are into either basketball or hockey are going to be watching some really important games, right, Jordan? I know your team lost. I just had to rub it in somewhere along here. What happened to the Boston Bruins? I have no idea. But anyway... Uh, we had this little thing all year while we traveled. Boston's going to win. I'm, nah, not a chance anyway. I'm not a prophet, but anyway. But some people are going to be cheering, right, this afternoon for a hockey game or a basketball game. And if it's anything like my experience when I was a younger man in high school playing basketball, yes, I did play basketball. It was a lousy team. Um, we won one game in two years. And... Uh, Here's what the coach did every week. It didn't matter. I'm sure it's going to happen this afternoon. He'd get us into that room right before the game. He'd say, hey, guys, we practice hard. We've got a really good game plan. Now just stay focused on that game plan, and we'll have success. As I was saying to the people this morning, when, when we started off those first two years, he used to say, we'll win. But as we piled up the losses, it was, we'll do well, you know. And, uh, but... The point was, he was telling us to concentrate. You see, in sports, staying focused has to do with concentrating on a game plan. Something that's been laid out, and here's what we need to do. We've practiced it. Let's do it well. In the area of photography, it has a little different idea. Staying focused in photography has to do with clarity. As I was telling the folks this morning, I want to thank you for your support of our son and daughter-in-law, Dave and Tina. And also, for thank you for supporting Mike and uh, Sarah. These are all graduates of Heritage, all four of them. Went to school about the same time, and, uh, you know, God's at work in all their lives. Anyway, when Dave was graduating, our son Dave was graduating from grade 8. He went to a Christian school, and so the grade 8 graduation, the speaker graduation was going to be one of his favorite youth pastors who had left a couple months before and was gone. And So when we're leaving home to go to this grade 8 graduation, he says, Now, Dad... You've got one assignment tonight besides acting intelligent. You know, that's what sons always tell their dad. Don't embarrass me. I want you to get a picture of me and the youth pastor. Well, here's the trusty camera that I had, still have. I don't use it anymore. This is before the days of point and shoot, right? I thought, no problem, Dave. We got it under control. I've done that forever. We get to the end of the graduation. I get the youth pastor and Dave, line them up get everything looked and you know, take a couple pictures. We go to Black's Photography about three or four days later. I'm paying for the pictures. He's got them in his hand. And right in the middle of that store in front of all kinds of people, says, Dad, you blew the picture. Well, I knew that couldn't be, so I grabbed the picture of his hand. And, and i got to tell you, like I could tell it was the youth pastor and Dave. <laughs> but it wasn't very clear. You see, in photography, staying focused has to do with clarity, right? Clarity. And I just messed up just a little bit. My focus was just a little bit off. And so the picture wasn't very clear. Now, as you think about your life this summer, I thought a lot about what I was going to say to you folks, and I hope you've come prepared to receive a message from God that I think God has given me to give you. 
Here's what I find in the life of many believers and in churches. I'm part of church. I've been part of church all my life. Something crazy happens around the 2-4 weekend when we stop focusing on what we're supposed to do. We get into the summer mentality. Things are different. The routines are upset. And it's easy to get out of focus in our lives. Would you agree with that? Have you ever had that experience? Things kind of flowing along. Everything seems fine and something happens. It can be summer vacation. It could be an illness. It could be the loss of a job, which many people in the city are experiencing. It could be all kinds of things, but if the routine's kind of upset, all of a sudden we lose the focus of our lives. It can just be inattention. Somehow we stop concentrating on the game plan God's given us. Somehow we lose the clarity of what our calling is, and we get out of focus. And I want to share with you four things that have stretched me and directed me for years. This is a subject I've wrestled with in my own life. I have these four things down on a piece of paper in my desk to keep me focused. I just want to share with you four things you need to remember. Very simple from this passage. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about those four things. I'm going to test you at the end whether you can remember, okay? Four things we need to remember if we're going to stay focused, and hopefully this will help all of us myself included, this church family, you as an individual, you and your family, to be clear and concentrating this summer on what it is that God has in mind for you and your life. Let's read God's word together. I'm reading from the NIV, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Context of this passage is Paul has been defending his apostleship saying, like, you know, I was called of God, and, and, you know, you need to pay attention, kind of that thing. So he kind of brings this in. So he says, in light of all I've told you, this is how people ought to regard us. Regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not judge even myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. You ought to underline that verse in your Bible. A lot of us get that wrong. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose what the motives of men's hearts are. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. It's another little part to underline. Praise from God. Praise from God. Four things. Here they are. We'll go back and review them in just a minute. First of all, we need to remember who we are. Verse 1, the servants of Christ. Then we're going to realize we need to remember what we do. Then we need to remember the standard of evaluation. And last, remember the goal. Let's remember who we are, number one. Remember who we are in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Very clearly, the text says men ought to regard us as what? Servants of Christ. That's who we are. Servants of Christ. This idea of servant of Christ was very understood by the people in that culture. It's not the typical word in the, in the New Testament of doulos for slave. It was a very interesting word that was part of the culture, part of the Greek, that explained something that was very common in that time of society. As countries conquered each other, this was the typical thing that would happen. The conquering country would come in, and in conquering the other country would take all the smart, intelligent people with them back to their homeland and use them 
as servants in the households to run the businesses, run the schools, do all kinds of things like that. You'll see that as you read all kinds of situations. I mean, in the Old Testament, you remember what happened when the Babylonians conquered Israel? They took people like Daniel and Shadrach, right? All these intelligent men back, and they were going to use them to be servants. So what the idea here, friends, is this. Here are people who had been free, doing the things they like to do, and now they become servants, but not slaves, because they had a lot of freedom in doing that. They were given a lot of responsibility, and so they could come and go, but they knew that they didn't have total freedom because they were serving someone who had conquered them. You get the picture? And this is exactly what the Bible talks about in our lives. I think I said the wrong passage this morning. It's in Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 22. I think I said Romans 5. But Romans 6, 15 through 22. Here's what the Bible says. All of us who are now servants of Christ started in a different condition. The story of our lives is something like this. Once upon a time, I was born into the world. I thought things were pretty good. In fact, I was the star of the show. Every child thinks he is in his home, right? I was controlling life. Life was going along. I grew up. Somewhere along the line, I began to realize things weren't quite as good as I thought. But I put that behind me. I just suppressed it. As I grew along in life, things began to happen in my life. As Bronwyn sang, God began to speak, right? He used circumstances to begin to speak into my life. And those circumstances, those crushing experiences, began to awaken me to the fact someone bigger actually was in charge. I wasn't in charge. Thought I was. Acted like I was. But realistically, I wasn't. And in those dark moments of my life, when things were troubling me, I began to ask important questions like, is there really a God? Does God really exist? And I began to ask other questions. If he does exist, what does that make me? How do I fit into the picture? We sang a... Uh, one of the worship songs this morning talked about God's light being revealed, right? First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 4, it's a powerful passage. It says, God who shined out of darkness has shined into our hearts. You see, God has this general revelation where he's involved in his creation. He's allowing people to see that he exists. The heavens declare the glory of God. Things are happening that will point people's minds to God if they're open. And as people begin to open their hearts to the fact that God exists, not knowing that it's the Holy Spirit who's at work in their lives, the Bible says God takes that general revelation and it's like he bundles it up into this very tight beam of light. Sometimes we think of a laser beam, right? It's what they're fixing on the Hubble, you know, the Hubble telescope right now, fixing that light beam. And God takes the general revelation and he narrows it right down to this beam and he does laser surgery on our heart, right? God who shines out of darkness shines in our hearts. And that beam comes into our heart, and all of a sudden, the light goes on, and we realize, I'm not in charge. There is a God who is, and God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ, and I am accountable to Christ. And then I have to do something about it. I only have two options. I either accept this wonderful message of Jesus Christ, or I reject the message of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. I have to decide who I'm going to serve. I have to decide in that moment, am I going to continue serving the sin in my life, those things that are driving me away from God, 
Am I going to keep serving this kingdom of darkness and all the philosophy and everything I'm taught? Am I going to keep serving this kingdom that's run by Satan who wants to destroy me? Or am I going to embrace a new kingdom? The kingdom of the light of Christ, the kingdom of the son of his love, the kingdom who gives me, uh, the kingdom run by Christ, the one who gives me freedom to live life the way God designed. I have to make a choice. And I wonder this morning if there's anyone here that's right in that wrestling mode. You've, you've kind of been thinking about things. You've been coming for a while. God's been awakening your heart to the reality that you need Christ. You're serving the wrong kingdom. You see people here have joy in the Lord and happiness, and their lives seem to have wholeness. Not perfect, but there's something good going on here. And you're attracted to it. Well, that's the work of God in your life. But here's the reality, friends. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you put your faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross. He shed his blood. He died so you could have life. He was buried. He rose again the third day to prove that he is powerful and can give you the abundant life he promises. When you decide, under the Spirit of God's direction, to turn from that other kingdom that you've been serving and turn to the kingdom of Christ, here's the deal. You change masters. Amen? You change masters. Now, the master you had before, Satan, was a wicked master who had one thing in mind to destroy you. The new master you serve is Christ who has one thing in mind, that's to give you life and to give you hope and to give you a future. Wonderful. In fact, he promises to give you everything you need to live a godly life. Isn't that great? I'm wondering this morning, have you forgotten who you are? A lot of Christians I've met, and myself, I get distracted. Things come out, and all of a sudden I get a little confused. And I kind of think I'm still in charge. Kind of running my life, you know. Oh yeah, I made this decision to live for Christ. But he only gets a certain portion, right? I'm still kind of in, in control of certain things like who I'm going to marry, and uh, where I'm going to work, and uh, what I'm going to do with my life. You know, I'm kind of in control of that stuff yet. I'll, I'll embrace him for eternal life, and I'll embrace him for fire escape from hell and all that kind of stuff, but running my life? Are you kidding? I want to tell you something. You'll never, ever fulfill the purpose God had in mind for you and become the person of God he has in mind for you unless you remember something. What did we say? You've got to remember who you are. Who are you? Tell me. A little louder. That was, not, that was pretty weak. You are the servant of Christ. Once you embrace Christ as the answer to your need, you become the servant of another master. And he's a good master. He's wonderful. He gives you a lot of freedom, but he's still in charge. Are you there in your life? Are you focused on that? Do you realize that? There's a wonderful story. I think it's apocryphal, but I'll tell you anyways if it's true. I've searched around, can't find it's not of Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipating president of the United States. Before he actually became president, as well, early days of presidency, as he was thinking about this big idea he had of getting rid of slavery, he thought he should visit a slave market one time to see what it was really like, see if it was really as awful as people said it was. And so he went, and sure enough, it was about the most despicable thing he'd ever seen. People were brought in to the front of the room, and they were tied, their hands tied to a post, and an auctioneer would actually auction them off like a piece of furniture, like an animal. No rights, no privileges. Can you imagine that, friends? 
you imagine that's still happening in our world today? Are you aware of that? People still being treated the same way? Slaves. The slave trade is still strong and tends to be with children, young adults, and tends to be in the area of sexual perversion. Anyway, the story goes, Abraham Lincoln stood at the back of the room and he was very emotionally moved by this. Began to get an idea in his mind. It had been there before, but now it was crystallizing. And the idea was this, he was going to buy a slave and free the person to demonstrate what he wanted to do in the big picture. So towards the end of the day, this beautiful black girl was brought in, tied there, and the bidding began, and Abraham Lincoln began to bid on that slave girl. And as the bidding went higher and higher, finally the auctioneer said, sold to that man back there, and it was Abraham Lincoln, and he bought this slave girl. Now she thought he was just going to be like another wicked slave master, right? And so she began to curse and swear at him. She'd been very violent. And, and he comes down towards her, and he, and he told her, like, calm down. I have an idea that I want to try. I, I, I'm going to free you. And she cursed and sweared and swore. And, and he, I'm going to free you, he kept saying. He got the key. He unlocked her and said, you're free to go. I have bought you. You're free to go. And as she calmed down and stood there thinking about this for a while, she finally said, in a moment of great understanding, well, in that case... I'll go to your home and serve you. And in a very small way, that's the story of our journey with God. There comes a place in our life where we recognize Christ has bought us, are you with me, out of the slave market of sin, amen? He redeemed us. That's what the word redemption means. It's buying out of the slave market. He took us away from a wicked master who had one idea in mind, kill us, destroy us. And he buys us and sets us free to serve him. I want to tell you, that will keep you focused if you just remember that every day. I'm the servant of Christ. I'm the servant of Christ. I'm the servant of Christ. I'm free to serve Christ. Christ has set me free. I'm no longer in bondage. What a powerful thought, amen? Amen. Well, there are two things that every one of these remembrances do in my life. This one here, when I remember this, it keeps me responsible. I know who it is I'm serving. Can't blame others, can't pass off duties. I am serving Christ. I am responsible to him and him alone. And it also keeps me rejoicing. Can you imagine the great privilege we have to serve Christ? What an honor. He actually invites us to serve him. Little old me, Marvin Brubaker, I'm nothing. And yet he chose me out of the slave market, freed me to serve him. Best boss I've ever had, bar none. Bar none. So, first thing, if you're going to stay focused, really focused, individually and corporately as a church, you've got to remember something. What is it? What do we remember, number one? We are the servants of Christ. Remember that. Whisper that to your heart every day. I'm the servant of Christ, servant of Christ, servant of Christ. The second thing in here, he says, uh, I'm going to give you something really good to do. We need to remember what we do. This is in verse 1 as well. We're entrusted with the secret things of God. The idea of entrusted is the idea of a dispenser. It's the idea of stewardship. Uh, Probably the best example of this from the Bible is the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery uh, to Potiphar in Egypt. And as a young man with lots of ambition and ability, he rose up in Potiphar's household till he came to the place where he was in charge of everything in the house except for Potiphar's wife. 
What that meant was Joseph's duties were to take all the goods and services that Potiphar had, his flocks, his sheep, his gardens, and everybody that else worked for Potiphar, and to organize them and help them become productive so that Potiphar's household would prosper. That meant making a profit, so to speak, and it also meant making sure everybody in the household was looked after. They had clothing, they had food, they had everything they need. You get the idea? He was a dispenser of the goods. He was a steward of the household. That's the idea of this word. Now, here's what we steward. If I took time, and our time's flying by so fast. If I took time, I could think I could prove to you from the New Testament that what we steward are the secret things of God. It's the eternal truths of salvation by faith in Christ. That's exactly what he gives us to do. He frees us up to serve him, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that good news that you received, that people can be freed from the slave market of sin, and through salvation by faith, they can be followers of Christ. They can follow me just like you are. That is what we steward. We dispense the truths of the gospel which have been trusted to us. We don't own these truths. God owns the truths. We are stewards of the truths. We dispense them carefully. We make good investments. Have you forgotten that that's what you are supposed to do? Are you remembering that's what you're supposed to do? You are a steward. Well, when I think about this carefully, it does two things for me. One is, it reminds me I better know this message really thoroughly. And I again say, what a great reason to come to Bible college or seminary. What a great reason to go to a class here at this church. What a great reason to get serious about your faith. Can you? Here's a serious question for every person myself. Can you, in a creative way, tell the story of your salvation? That's what you need to do. Can you tell it? In a compelling, clear way. Would people understand what happened in your life? Can you dispense that truth? That's what you're supposed to do. That's what we're all about. I know people say, well, man. I mean, I'm not going to witness because they'll ask me questions I don't know the answers to. That's not what I asked. Can you tell them what happened in your life? We're supposed to be witnesses. A witness is a testifier of what happened in his own life. You don't have to tell anything but what happened in your life, clearly, compellingly, and creatively. Can you do that? Can you tell the story of salvation? Can you embrace this big global story of Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22? Can you show how you fit into that story? How they can fit into the story? You've got to know the story. Be able to tell it. That's your job. But secondly, not only do I need to know the story thoroughly, I need to be investing it, targeting this message thoughtfully. This is my responsibility. You see, good stewards didn't just throw the goods out there and say, here it is. If you want some, get it. That steward of the household thought through the various needs and the various levels of, uh, of need. And, and he would say, well, that guy needs this, and this person needs that, and, and I, I need to invest here so we get this done. Very thoughtfully, they would take the goods and services and dispense them for the good of the whole. And, and here I just want to speak a word to your hearts this morning. Please, please listen. If your church has ever had an opportunity in the past... The opportunity you have now is like never you had before, ever. Because here's what I believe. 
People respond to this message when their lives have been crushed by the experiences of life. As Bronwyn's saying, remember? God's speaking. He uses circumstances. And the crushing experiences of life are what open people's hearts to be open to the voice of God. So whether that crushing experience is losing your job or wondering about whether you're going to have a pension now that you've retired or wondering about why my wife got cancer or why my child is so rebellious or wondering about what's going on in my marriage and all these things that are part and parcel of the human experience. Why is my boss so hard on me? Why don't my kids love me? All these tough questions, these crushing experiences of life, that's what God uses to awaken people to the message. He expects his servants to dispense the message. And I want to ask you, are you thinking through the circle of your friends, the people who live around you, the people you work with, people you go to school with, are you thinking through that circle of influence right now and saying, you know, this is a person I know is in trouble, and I need to bring that person the message. I need to offer them hope in Christ. It may mean some of you men need to bring somebody here on Father's Day. It may mean you need to invite someone to the marriage sessions. It may mean you need to invite them to Tim Hortons and have a coffee and just say, I love you, and I'm saddened to see what's happening in your life, but I've got hope for you. Are you crushed by the experiences that your friends are facing? I I, I don't believe you'll ever be a good steward unless you get emotional about this thing. But really... It really impacts you. I'm thinking about some guys right now that I'm trying to win to Christ and some of the circumstances they're facing. And, and as I think about it, I get very emotional because I know apart from Christ, there's no answer. There's no hope. Does anybody here understand what I'm trying to say? Would you say Amen. Without Christ, there's no hope. And you've got the goods, so to speak, right? You've got what God wants you to dispense. Are you you willing to do that, friends? We're the servants of Christ. And this is what we do. We take God's good news. And thoughtfully, carefully, we invest it in hungry hearts. And we believe that God's going to bring an increase. Amen? That's what we do. Well... Two more things real carefully and quickly. What is the standard of evaluation? How are you going to be evaluated in this whole stewardship thing? Well, it says very clearly in verse 2. You see the word there? It's required that those who've been given this trust would prove... What's the word next? Can you see it there in the Bible? I didn't make this up, did I? Prove what? Faithful. Prove faithful. The standard of evaluation is faithfulness. Faithfulness. I just want to say this very quickly and carefully... The idea of faithfulness here is trustworthiness. It's, it's like this, this big picture look at our lives. When he says we need to be proven faithful, it's not referring to those little individual incidents of life where we fail and blow it. Because all of us have those, right? Almost every day I mess up. I don't do things the way I should. But, but looking back at the big picture of my life over the last three months, four months, I think that's the way God looks at our life. And, and he says, 
as a whole, as I look at this person's heart, as I look at this person's commitment, as I look at this person's intentionality, as I look at what this person is attempting to do, this is one of my faithful stewards. Oh, yeah, they mess up here and there. And that's what my grace is all about, amen? But, but this is a person who really cares about it. This is a person who's thinking about what he's supposed to be doing. It's the idea of the big picture, not the individual incidents. It is a character issue. It has to do with my becoming like Christ, a compassionate, caring person. I'm trustworthy. What I've been given to do, I'm attempting to do with my heart. Now, there are two bad attitudes that destroy faithful service. Let me tell you very quickly what they are. The first is a critical spirit. This is from the story in Matthew 25, 24 through 30, when Jesus talks about a master giving talents to other people. Remember, he gave five talents. What did the five-talent person do? That's not talking about your abilities. It's talking about money, okay? He gave him something to do. Take this and invest it. And the five-talent person invested it and brought back how many talents? You're a little timid around here this morning. We can talk in church. He took five talents, invested, and brought back how many talents? I heard someone say five, but that's not the right answer. Ten. Smart guys right in the front row. You got math down, right? Double his. And then he gave two to somebody, and they went out and did it, and they brought back how many? Four. Would you say that's pretty good stewardship? Is that faithful? Taking what had been given? Return to the kingdom? Gave one guy one talent. What did that guy do? He buried the talent. Here is the question. Why did he bury the talent? Why did he bury the talent? What did he say? What did he say? What's the text say? What does Jesus say? That's exactly, that man right there has got the right answer. He was afraid of the master, right? He said, I know you're a tough boss. You're hard to please. So I thought, he's so hard to please, stick in the ground. When he comes back, at least he'll get back what he gave me. Of course, Jesus calls him a wicked steward, right? But here's the point. Please listen carefully. This will kill your stewardship if you have a critical heart towards the master. And all of us are tempted to have that heart at times. And we reveal it when we say things like, I wish my life were different. I wish I had a better job. I wish this hadn't happened in my life. All these kinds of things that we talk about God, who's in charge of our lives, and who says he does all things well, and we're unhappy, we're disappointed. And I I know that this is a great church, and nobody's like that, but that's where I live my life. That is where I live my life, every day having to deal with the critical spirit of my life towards the Master. It comes out when I complain. Every time I complain, I'm saying God isn't good. No wonder Paul told the Philippian church, stop grumbling. Because when you grumble, he says, your light doesn't shine. It keeps your light from shining brightly. Look it up, it's in Philippians chapter 2. I'm telling you, friends, the thing that will kill, one of the two things that will kill your stewardship is a critical heart towards the master. You're just not totally certain God's treating you the way he ought to. 
The second one is in Luke. In Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 42 to 48. And this is a lazy spirit. Uh, here's a different story Jesus tells about. There are some guys that he left in charge of a vineyard, in charge of his, his goods. And, and he said, I'm going to be gone for a long time. When I come back... Um, oh, no, he just said, I'm going to come back. And uh, so the master's gone a long time, and you know what happened? The guys that were supposed to look after the vineyard started thinking, he's been gone a long time. He's probably not coming back. So let's just forget about making a return for the master. Let's enjoy the vineyard, right? Let's indulge. So the story goes, they had a party, right? They began to indulge. They eat, drink, and be merry mentality, right? He's not coming back. And I'm telling you, this one happens in Christians' lives, too. You know, we've heard about Jesus coming back for a long time, right? He's coming back, he's coming back, and here I am, I'm 70, 80 years old, and he hasn't come back, you know. Or I'm 25, and I think I've lived a long time, and he hasn't come back, right? And I I start thinking, well, probably going to be a long time before he's showing up, so I ought to just enjoy life a little bit, right? These pastors are always all in my case about doing things for God, and, you know, everybody deserves a break. And all of a sudden, instead of rejoicing in our stewardship, we begin to play the party game. We take time off. We think we deserve certain things. I'm really facing that at my age. I've I got to confess to you, I, as I hang out with guys my age, all I hear them talking about is retirement. And it's not just quitting work and getting a pension. It's like, Retiring from Christianity almost, you know, it's, you know, let the younger people in the church do it. I had my day, you know, someone else can pick up the, you know, like. People looking for a, as I said this morning, people looking for a landing strip instead of a launching pad. I just want to gently land, you know. I want to end well. Coast in. Instead of being Caleb mentality. Give me that mountain. Only 80? Give me a mountain. You know? Let me conquer something for God. We start picking up this spirit. It comes out in different ways. You can kind of circle the airport for a while, but believe me, friends, if the motor's not on, you're going down. You're landing. Is your motor still going for God? Like, you know, what's going on in your life? Okay, so first thing we got to remember what? Remember who we are. We are the what? Servants of Christ. We got to remember what we do. What do we do? We're stewards, right? We got to remember the goal. Actually, remember the standard evaluation. It's faithfulness. Last, we got to remember the goal, and I'm done. And the goal is in verse 5. At that time, each will receive praise from God. The goal is. Praise from God. Oh, by the way, just to finish off number three, to get that done, I need to concentrate on the big picture and practice daily routines to keep me focused. Anyway, remember the goal. Best compliment we can ever receive in life is well done, good and faithful servant. It's so important to me to mention this to you. Many of us are into this self-judgment or listening to other people's judgment. But it's so clear in this text. We need to remember there's a right time for evaluation, and it's only the Lord that gives the right evaluation. I must wait for the right time. It's when the Lord returns. 
It's never time to evaluate my life or someone else to evaluate my, my life, ever. It's only the Lord that's to evaluate and wait till he comes. That keeps us busy, active thinking right to the end. Either when we pass on into eternity through death or when he comes back to receive all of his believing family to heaven at the rapture, one of the two. The right time, the right time, the right time is at the end. And secondly, only listen to the Lord's evaluation. Listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. I think most of us are intelligent enough that we can listen to the Lord about this if we really think about it. What is the Lord saying about my life? But remember, right now is not the full judgment, right? It's at the end. You've never lost opportunity till right at the end. You may have been goofing off for a while. There's still hope. You can still get into the game. Right to the end. At the end, the Lord is going to make this evaluation, and he'll make it. Now, here's the thing. I grew up in a, in a church system that kind of made me very nervous because I thought at the end what was going to happen was there was going to be this uh, video shown of my life in front of all my friends, and it was going to show every wrong thing I ever did in life. And I was going to be totally embarrassed, and I really didn't want to be there. That's the way I kind of was taught. And I know it was kind of a guilt trip to kind of supposedly stimulate me to be a better, better young man, a better Christian. Wrong. It never, it never made me feel guilty enough. You know, uh, that's not the way to get it done. Here's what God does. He promises praise. It's the greatest incentive to serve. Amen? Praise from God. Can you imagine standing there someday and yes, when God even says, you blew it here, Marv, and that, but let me tell you, Marv, signs of grace were all over your life. Fingerprints of God were in your life. And I got to tell you, Marv, well done, good and faithful servant. Can you wait? I mean, I can hardly wait for that day. It gives me goosebumps. That God, the God of heaven and earth, might even say that to me. I mean, I am stimulated and stirred to keep serving, to keep being a steward. Not because I'm afraid of judgment, because I am embraced by praise. Not because what I think might happen, which is condemnation, but because I know what's going to happen is commendation. How good is that? The omniscient, sovereign Lord will find evidences of grace in my life and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I won't tell you the report card story because my time's gone. But I'm telling you, when I was a kid coming home with my report card, I loved it because my dad would say, well done. Was it a perfect report card? No. But there are evidences of the grace of God in my life on that report card. And my dad would say, well done. And that's the way it's going to be. And you know what? He's going to say, look what God's grace did in your life, Mark. Salvation by faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit. Look what we did together. It's not a solo journey. It's you and God and the people of God staying focused on what God has in mind. So let's review and then we're going to call on the young people to come. And You can come right now as we're reviewing if you want. Okay? Number one, what do we got to stay focused? We got to remember what? Don't look at them. Look right here at me. All right? We got to remember who we are. We got to remember... What we do, okay, who we are, we're the servants of Christ, right? What we do, stewards of God's grace. 
three, we we need to remember the standard of evaluation. What is it? Faithfulness. Big picture. And then remember the goal. What's the goal? Praise from God. We're going to sing a song. Uh, I think Calvin's coming up to end the service. Got the right person. But here's what I want to tell you. I'm going to stay right down at the front. If any of you are struggling with anything I said, or you'd like just someone to pray with you, I'll be down front. I'll be happy to chat with you about what I said. If you didn't understand what I said, please listen again to the tape. But my desire is to stimulate and stir you in this church to stay focused this summer. You have an amazing opportunity to impact this city for the grace and glory of God. Amen? But you better stay focused. Stay focused. Well, let's lead us in our final act of worship here.